I've got Scott and Brad from the Outsiders podcast, and they do a great show talking about what the church kind of looks like from the outside and the outside looking in and what are some of the issues and the problems. Can you guys say a little bit about what you do and who you are? Boy, what are some of the issues, Brad? <laughs> I think the biggest issue is you, Scott. I, it, it always is. starts with you. I'm always Not starting me. the trouble. Yeah. What? Nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll go ahead and start. So my name is Brad, and I, I grew up in the church, and I have been a leader. I went to a Christian college. I, I've, I've been church my whole life. I mean, I actually, and not because of my family, because of my neighbors that they took me to church every week and Sunday school and youth groups and everything. And so I grew up with that and I grew up around traditional um, conservative evangelical values and even going to a Christian college, which was an EB free church school, um, Trinity college in Deerfield or international university, whatever they're calling it. And, uh, I just found myself in a place where I feel like the institutional model of church just really wasn't doing it for me anymore. It just, and, and not in a way of a personal preference, but I had a really hard time reconciling what my church was and what the new Testament shows. Mm-hmm. And, and that was always the struggle for me. It wasn't, it wasn't that like I was the doctrinal police and I was so worried about everyone's doctrine. What I was really worried about is how, it just seemed to be this vacuous black hole that people were sucked into on Sundays, shot out, but then not, you never really knew what happened. And then everyone came back on Sunday and they faked their lives. No one was really honest. There were a couple of scandals in the church that I grew up in that we all had to deal with and no one really knew how to deal with them. Yeah. Um, and just the more and more – like even I, I remember – trying to the food pantry in town was struggling to meet the needs of the community and i remember arguing with one of the pastors about just getting five minutes to talk about that need in service and i was shot down every time i asked to have time in the service simply because well they had a schedule to keep and it's like our neighbors who are supposed to love are starving and they don't have food and you're worried about your schedule and the best part was when I, I told the seniors in our in our church, I went to like their Sunday school class and kind of shared the needs with them. They like they reamed that pastor out so hard. And they're like, if you don't want if you don't want to take care of the food pantry, then you know, we we don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden, you know, there's an announcement being made. And then what happens is the food pantry runs out of space for all the food they're getting because we just made known the need. And it was like, if we're wrestling and struggling through loving our neighbor and like, if that's like not a priority, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Yeah. So that was, that was for me like the big turning point because I've always just lived in a very simple way when it comes to this stuff where Jesus says the greatest things you can do is love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. Okay, well, then those are the two things we should focus on. But instead, it's always like the color of the carpet, the style of music, the lights. Do we buy TVs or projectors? Like, what do we do? And the whole institution itself basically becomes self-perpetuating. It ha- it only exists to keep itself open. Right. And then everything is about getting tithes in and getting all the money and paying people, getting the right pastor. We want a more you know cool pastor. We want this younger guy. Or we want this guy. And everyone's getting fired, but you can't tell people you're getting fired because you've got to maintain this image that everything's okay. And it's like that's that's like what Jesus is teaching about with like the cup. 
that's clean on the outside and dirty on the inside, you know, or it's like we're, we're telling our congregation lies to keep them happy. It's like, that's just not right. So that's kind of a, a, I would say if I were to sum up and answer your question, that's what I would say is wrong. Just lots of stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Scott, what's kind of, what's your experience or your uh, perspective? Yeah. Well, I, I became a Christian when I was 17. So about, almost 20 years ago. And about five years ago, um, I was fired uh, as an outreach pastor from a church um, because uh, much like Brad, I was just looking around and asking, why are the people inside the church who say they love Jesus, why aren't they any different than everybody else that I meet? And in fact, sometimes they're worse. Uh, the mm. They're gossipy, they reject people, they hurt people all in the name of their faith. And, uh, and yet these are the people we're trying to train and go tell people about Jesus. And so I, I became very leery of that whole culture and just found myself wanting, not wanting to go anymore, uh, and explore what Christianity looks like without the institutional church. Uh, and so, and that's kind of what we do on our podcast. We, we want to be a voice for what's already happening. And I think what, uh, people are already realizing in America and that is that there's this worldview of Christianity that looks very much different uh, than what's being presented in the church culture. So. Yeah. So the the podcast is called The Outsiders Podcast, and I assume that name kind of came from that perspective that we're sort of on the outside of institutional church. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, what, are, what are some things that you look at, or what, what do you want the focus of the podcast to be well we don't have uh, we don't have a strict agenda that we're trying to put forth what we're trying to do is open up a conversation with people who either agree or disagree with us but have views on where the church or how the church should be represented in america for us or at least i'll speak for myself and i'll let brad talk but um, you know, Dallas Willard gives these this great example of the Gospels of Sin Management, which have come to completely dilute the real gospel of Jesus. The church culture right, right now is, it tends to glorify a gospel that isn't the gospel of Jesus, and that is there's the gospel of the left and the gospel of the right. The gospel of the left is the social is the social gospel that you know feeds the the hungry, you know, nurses the sick, and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and the gospel on the right is the gospel of how you go to heaven when you die. And that's great, too. The problem is, is that both of those have come to define the overall world worldview of Christianity. And Christianity is much bigger than those two things. And so sure. we are exploring uh, what what is the essential call of Christianity and how is it going to actually help us in this day and age? Yeah. So... I'm I'm in a church regularly right now, but there was a period of um, the, at, toward the beginning of this year, a period of of a few years where I wasn't, and you know I'd been heavily involved before that in in church leadership and and doing a lot for a lot of years, and so it was it was almost difficult for me to know how to explain when somebody asks what church do you go to or you know, what do you do on Sunday morning or why aren't you in church? It's almost embarrassing to try to explain it. And, uh, but yet over that period of time, I think I came to understand the church in a way 
that we rarely do when we're right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also came to, um, to find the things that maybe that I really want to believe and embrace. Um, what, what do you think happens when, when, we are, when we are Christians who are kind of apart from the regular activities of, a, of an institutional church? Mm, I, I found that for myself that it was every time I interacted with someone who went to like an institutional church, it, it turned into some kind of discussion or an argument of like I had to defend why this was okay. Um, but I think that for me personally, when I walked away from all of that, the thing that I walked into was just more of kingdom life and more of like actually doing the things like Jesus did. I was giving money to people who were poor. I was praying for people on the street. I mean, just random things started popping up because Mm -hmm. I just got over this idea that this is the only way church can look. And I think that that's the biggest like wrestling match that Christians are having. The idea of leaving the institutional church is hard because this is all that we've ever known in America, especially. And so we just assume that this is what it is. And to go anywhere else, you you know, I for a long time defended myself, and and I realize I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to try to convince people that what I'm doing is right. Like they're where they're at for a reason. Yeah. And one day maybe they'll have a conviction and say, "Gosh, this just seems really messed up." But if not, that's okay too. My job is not to fix them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, the way I I've dealt with the feeling is like. I miss the community. To me, the church always comes down to just the community of believers. But I've always had a good community of faith. I've never had like – I mean lately it's been the last like six years or so. It's never been like, oh, this is my standard church community. But I've always just had a lot of good friends all over the place. Like, I mean Scott and I live in two different time zones. But you know, we stay in touch all the time and the, I mean the podcast helps. But you know, we're constantly messaging with each other and it's like that that to me is still a way of doing church. Two brothers who are sharing their lives together. And it's not a fake, hey Scott, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Oh, good. It's like, hey, this is what I struggle with. And I can be brutally honest with him. He can be brutally honest with me. And the one thing that I love is that it's just a more compassionate relationship too. I think the institutional church loves to live in law and and they they love to grab Paul's stuff about casting out the immoral brother and and so as soon as someone's in sin that that they confess they're like you got to get out until it's like no I'm just struggling with this so it doesn't mean I'm perfect I'm not going to get through this I mean I, I don't just wake up after a prayer and be like wow I just have absolutely no sinful desires whatsoever <laughs> I mean they're everywhere and so it's like how what do you do then it's like the first moment I confess a sin that I'm wrestling you just throw me out I mean that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it works for me but I mean it's I hope I'm answering the question because I always just ramble about this kind of stuff because I feel like it's such a huge topic. Sure. And, and the way that I've just like lived in it, it was just like I don't, I don't think that church has to be the way that the institutional church does it. It can still just be people – like the church I go to, which I loosely call a church, it's just a group of people that get together on Saturday that have never found like a small group to be safe in. And this is it. This is their family of people that they can share their life with. And there are single parents. There are people with five kids. There are like singles. There are you know kids fresh out of high school. There are kids fresh out of college. We've. I mean, I'm one of the older guys there. I'm 40. So, but it's just a place where we pray for one another. 
we, you know, we had two guys in our group um, go to Nepal for relief because one of the guys actually lived in Nepal for like seven years as a missionary. And he got called and said, hey, would you come help us with the earthquake relief? So while he went there, they paid for his way to go. The rest of us raised money. We raised over $600 a week to meet his family's bills and grocery needs. Without them, they never asked for it. Uh, one of the young guys in our group, he's like 25, was just like, hey, guys, here's a need that we can fill in. Here's what everyone could donate, and this is how we'll take care of them. And we presented them with that that money the three weeks he was gone, and they were just like blown away. But like that's the community of God. It isn't about all the structure and all this. It's just people saying uh, we're going to just take care of the needs of everyone around us. Yeah. So – so what about the standard objection, which is forsake not the assembling together of yourselves? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to me, that it's like if I'm getting together with friends in my house and we're talking about like why is that not considered the assembly of the saints or the assembly of others? You know, don't. It's like I'm not, I, and I think I think that passage to me speaks out more to the pride of isolationism. Than it does like saying, well, I'm just going to go do this alone when we're clearly meant to be in community. Well, why does it have to be on Sunday mornings from 10 to 1130? Why can't it be Friday nights at my house over cards and dinner or like, you know, movie night and discussion or like just people getting together and hanging out with each other, you know? Yeah. We always like like to say on our show that the best test of religious life is life, meaning that if you can't take – what you do with God and actually bring it into where you're at, even your thoughts on a, on a very consistent basis, then you've got some work to do. And mm. I think what Brad was saying earlier is, is really good because what we have is this kind of bizarre practice that we don't do in, in any other area of our life. We get up, we get dressed, uh, we, we tear our kids out of the house into the car because they don't want to go to church. And then we go and we sit and we sort of consume this moralistic message and are fed three points on how to actually do that. Um, And what that what that turns into is just you can't be who you really are. You have to pretend to be this Christ like person. Well, the big question is, what if I don't want to? What if I don't want to be that kind of person that you keep presenting to me? Yeah. And the church is impotent to answer that question. What if I don't want to, because it won't bring the gospel down at to a heart level. It's still up there in how you behave. That's what's promoted is how just, just behave right. It doesn't matter what you actually want. You have to overcome what you want and, and do what's right. And I don't think that that's the gospel. What do you think the kind of the development of culture and, and where we are in human history just right at this moment in time has to say about the way we do church? Is it becoming, is the way we've done church becoming obsolete or is it going to be relegated to just a certain corner of our society? And for some people, we need to find a new way. How do you think that relates? That's, that's a really good question. I mean, who, who knows for sure? I, I tend to think, uh, just a American culture in general is getting very skeptical of uh, large corporations, large buildings, large management systems, uh, charismatic-based leadership. I think especially the millennials are getting very skeptical of that kind of stuff and aren't impressed by it. And I tend to think, if I had to guess, that things are going to move back into 
home churches. I think there's going to be a, a you know a movement back away from big buildings, back to a more uh, you know congregant-led um, approach. If I had to guess, yeah, I I would say the same thing. I think that I mean when you look at things like the Global Leadership Summit, you know that's like the pinnacle of like church, you know, oh man, we're just going to be good. Well, what are you leading people into? You know, it, it seems like everyone I know who goes to churches like that, that are, oh, they love this leadership. So like, they just end up getting burnt out because it becomes all about them. It becomes all leading. It doesn't actually bring about life change. I mean, honestly, all of the sex scandals that we're dealing with right now at this time, Ashley Madison, the president of the Baptist University who was, who videotaped his affair. I mean, it's like, what's really happening happening with that? It's because of the gospel they're preaching, this rule-based sin management thing is the exact same thing the Israelites wrestled with. They just couldn't do it because it doesn't change who they are. Because the mechanism inside them that makes decision is still grafted into their flesh and not their spirit because they haven't let the actual gospel change them. They haven't decided to say, hmm, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm just going to, like, stop rejecting people. I'm going to live with peace. I'm going to just not worry about, like, fixing everyone and just actually care for them. There's no real character change. And to me, that's like the evidence is so true when you've got 400-plus pastors on a list of a website where you find other people to have affairs with. When you got guys who are standing up there doing seven-week marriage series who are now confessing, yeah, I was looking for, like, an affair – I mean, what, what's going on there? Either either the gospel is useless or they really don't know it. Mm-hmm. And I would say they probably just don't know the real gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and our criticisms of the church come across as harsh, uh, and they should be, and they need to be, because frankly, they don't they don't care about what people like us say. They they want to maintain their own right. their own kingdoms. But I will say that it's not the congregations that I'm particularly upset about. I mean, I, I think the congregations really don't do much. But then again, they haven't been presented with a way to change their lives. Again, they're just they go on Sunday, they do what they're told, and they're given principles to live their lives by. But the desires of their heart aren't actually ever really dealt with. Right. And I think that's like the roundabout way I was saying that like as far as the churches we don't now, I We'll, we'll just continue to see an exodus away from it because people know that it's horse crap. They know that all it is is just some kind of like fluffy thing and it's not really doing anything for their life. And they're going to find 10 years in, I'm in the same place I was 10 years ago. Exactly. And, and they're going to start leaving this stuff because they're like, who gives a rip about good leadership? If you don't know who Jesus is, what the hell are you leading? Mm-hmm. And, and and what is, you know, the Mary and Martha thing, right? What does Jesus say about Mary? She chose what's best. She chose what's best. She mm-hmm. wasn't out there intensively laboring, slaving, and then bitching and moaning about it. Oh, Jesus, can you tell my sister to help me? And he's like, whoa, she's chosen what's best. Are we Behold, allowed to, are we allowed to swear best. on this show, by the way? <laughs> if you can if you could be like me that. out that would be so awesome just because i've always wanted to be censored like that just because i feel like a rapper when i had that I, I remember the five iron frenzy song where they just like they just randomly beep so it sounded like they were cussing in like a rap song it was hilarious i just think that stuff's funny but you know i was just thinking with with the mary and martha thing 
um, I remember being in a church, and you know, we 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 quote that story in those verses all the time about Mary chose the best thing, and you know, be Mary and not Martha. But then I remember thinking that we have to have people who are Marthas to keep this thing going, and we have to have this whole structure. We have during meetings, we have to have Marthas, or some people don't get to be Mary, but. Maybe that's not right at all. Right. I mean, that that's the thing, though. Again, that's perpetuating the institution. That's saying, like, well, in order to have this, well, we have to have that. And it's like, but if everyone was married, actually, it might just even be better. Yeah. And, and in the way that, like, let's, instead of just bustling around and doing all this administrative work and worrying about if the sound system, like, you know, don't even, I remember going to a church once, it was a, a church plant, and it was very young adultish, and we had issues with the sound system. The pastor's like, you know what? Screw it. He's like, turn the sound system off. We're not even going to do it. They pulled the acoustic guitars out. He, he stood in the middle of the place and, and preached. And it was like one of the best services we ever had. Because it's like it was finally not about the production. It was really about like the heart of the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there is that trap, right, where we create – the church creates dichotomies like, you know – Mormons create babies and you know that's a terrible reference but <laughs> it's this idea of like it's this or that you know it's like well you're Mary or you're Martha you're either just sitting there doing nothing but sitting there doing nothing is what the king of the universe says is the best mm. and so it's like I would just rather say well if the church doors close at least we have what's best because I mean the, who who says like well I I really want the crappiest thing they have I, what's what's the worst thing on the menu? That's what I want. No one mm. ever asks for that. They want the best. And Jesus says, here's the ticket. Just sit at my feet. Behold me. That's all. I mean, if you look at Isaiah, what does Isaiah say? Behold your God. All the time. That phrase is used all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus is the living representation of that phrase to the Jewish people that Isaiah wrote to. And they still didn't get it. And we don't either because we're just like the Jews. Rules, rules, rules. Give me all your rules constrain and confine me. You know, sometimes I think within these conversations too that, well, these conversations really only emerge out of church culture. You know, we, we can say that we're on the outside looking in, but the conversation wouldn't exist without us really essentially being a part of the church culture. And sometimes I think that the, those who are those who are completely separate from any kind of religion don't even care. Don't even care about these conversations. It's just not right. relevant, and don't even care about what's going on there on Sunday morning. Don't care about our programs and our and our and our small groups and our outreach efforts. And it's just it's all a club to them. And and sometimes I think we don't. You know, I, I think back to I spent a lot of time in youth ministry, and and we we had some some pretty exciting times in those days, and were able to really fire up teenagers. But a lot of what we were doing was, you know, telling these kids you can change the world, you can affect the world that you live in, you can and you can do amazing things. And I, I always remember talking to one of those young people years later, and he said. You know, that's what he really embraced. And, you know, if I do this certain thing and live this certain way and and 
whatever it is, talk a certain way and write letters to companies and uh, we're going to see the world change. But the world didn't change. Yeah. And I don't know. It it just so much of that just seems like an indictment to me of what the church is. And it's not all bad. It's it's we're, we're the people we are. I would expect a lot because of the church and the people we've been with and the people we've grown up with and but at the same time the way the 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 things that we took so seriously in in the youth group or in the church outreach efforts in a lot of ways they just they didn't change the world and nothing happened right <laughs> yeah 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 right. and isn't that the isn't that the big issue is where is this infusing of the kingdom of God into the world and and how and how does that really how does that really play out does it play out through social movements and advocacy and things like that or does it play out by changing who we are who, what our characters are into the image of Christ and then we just go be who we are to the world um, see and I think that's the better the 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 renovation comes from the inside and then moves outward. It doesn't move from this outward uh, Im- imposing ourselves on on a an evil culture or whatever, and then try and, and, and tame it. Uh, the world's never going to buy into that. They're just going to feel taken oh. advantage of. So we, if they don't see it in our lives first, they're they're gone. Right? They're not going to buy it. And and yeah, and I think our like I said earlier, our, our critical message is just that is. Stop focusing on trying to get us to behave a certain way. Focus on what we really desire as people and how we bring that into the, the kingdom of God, and then everything else takes care of itself. Yeah, um, You can just trust us to do whatever is good because we're being made into the image of God. Yeah. So I, I think one of the big criticisms of any kind of movement away from tradition— um, the criticism coming from the traditional people is, well, what about evangelism? Because it seems like so often kind of new ways of doing church movements um, move away from traditional forms of evangelism. And, you know, anytime that we see this this kind of w- exodus away from religion and we we, he- we hear that people are still want to be spiritual and maybe even still want to follow Jesus, just not in the structure of the church, we say, well, what about evangelism? You know, Ooh, how... I, I want to take that. I want to answer that. Go I've got an, answer, I got an answer to that. <laughs> Go Are you ready? I'm getting pumped up. Let me get my, let me get my little grippy things, my weight bench out and start getting <laughs> jacked up on this one. My answer to evangelism, because I, I hear this all the time from people, and I tell them, when you look at the New Testament, whether it's Acts or it's Matthew or it's John or whatever... Even with anything the Apostle Paul does, 90% or more of the time, what's happening there is not a discussion, yet a display. Jesus displays his love. Jesus displays his mercy. He displays his power by turning water into wine, by making food multiply. He appears to Paul and gives him an experience. And now the crowd around them, and that's why you read Acts. It's like, you know, they, oh, you know, Peter did all these miracles, and then 5,000 were added to their number. It's not because he stood there and told them, by the way, you're going to hell. 
you're sinning, you're sinning, you're terrible. And yes, there was preaching involved, but a lot of what happened was there was a demonstration of love and mercy and and the power of God, and people saw that and responded. And that's what's absent in our world, is that the actual living God who has all this stuff, and that's why in Africa people are getting raised from the dead and miraculously healed and all this other stuff, and we don't see that in America because our model is this business type model of I just got to go make a good argument. I'm going to win you over with a good argument. That's not what's missing from the world. Information is available in such a scale right now. What what's really missing is is people walking around and actually going it's it's okay if you if you tread on me a little bit because I can lose some dignity because my identity is found in Christ, not mm-hmm. in you and not what you think of me. And now I'm demonstrating that. And it's like Bonhoeffer says, right? The, the greatest mark of the believer is that you're willing to lose your dignity to shield someone from losing theirs. Mm-hmm. Because all of the things the world values is like this parallel universe that shouldn't even matter to the believer because everything that we have is found upward in Jesus, Right. And so the evangelism question is very simple. Go out and be Jesus Christ to people. Love them, forgive them, be merciful, give them. Don't love money. Give away your money freely. Lose your life to gain it. The paradox, right? Yeah. So instead of, you know, a a catchy, you know, track or a a five, you know, point statement and a drawing of a chasm with a man on one side and God on the other, actually just go demonstrate what that has done for you. Yeah, I mean, the cat's out of the bag for the world, and I don't think the church has realized it, but the the world knows that you can proclaim things that you don't actually believe, and right. uh, and that's the problem we have in the church, is that they go out and they may tell people about Christ, but they don't actually believe it themselves. They've or just, they don't practice it. Well, and that that's exactly right. I mean, the ancient definition of belief is what you are willing to act upon, you know? And so when Jesus says, if you confess me and believe in your heart he's not saying you know oh i'm just i'm trying really hard in my mind to agree with jesus belief actually is a there's a parallel um track between what you believe and what you do that they can't be separated and so when they see us acting the way that we act and yet we go tell them to believe in jesus they have they they know better they know that we're full of it they know that we're saying stuff you know, we're proclaiming things that we don't even believe ourselves. And so our words are empty at this point. And everybody seems to know that except people who live in the culture of the church. (laughs) And, and, And how do you get through to them? You can't tell them, listen, you're not doing it right because they're so defensive. I mean, ask anybody that's critical of the church. And I mean, the first thing you do is you get people like Stephen Furtick or all those guys. And then they, they want to play the victim like, Oh, I'm being bullied. You know, well, maybe you are, but maybe you're actually wrong about this. Um, maybe it's not about getting attendance at your church. Maybe that's not what it means to save the world. Maybe it actually means progressing the kingdom of God through the hearts of others. And that's all there is to it. And we don't need your administration. We don't need your building costs and your lighting costs. What we need are people, like Brad said, we need people who are going to demonstrate this. To others, where people look at you and say, "Gosh, you know, in you there is real life, and I need that because I'm terribly empty," and and so unless we can call people to account on that front, we're going to be sitting in the same cycle that we've been sitting in for the last hundred years. Yep. What if, 
what if it's all kind of a cycle? Like sometimes I kind of think, you know, we can we can reject all the institution and say we're just going to have we're just going to have churches in we're just going to have church in home and in our coffee shop and in our everyday lives and we're just going to meet during lunch at work and we're just going to be Jesus. But then eventually we start to say, well, you know, there's a lot of people here and we need a little bit of organization. What if we, what if we paid somebody to take care of the organization because the burden and, and then we say, oh, well, there's a lot of people who want to meet together. What if we rent that building over there so we have more space to all meet together? And the rejection of the structure just develops the structure once again. Oh man, I I agree a thousand percent with you on that, and I feel like that's that's kind of the struggle because what what we like see even like in the house church I go to, there are several people there that would be like, well, this technically really isn't a church, but eventually as it gets bigger, we're going to have to organize, we're going to have to like have like elders in place. And the thing I like about it is that right now the elders that are there, even though they're not appointed, it's really clear who they are simply because of the authority they carry on them spiritually. Mm. Uh, I like that. To me, that's even more organic than Neil Cole's organic church. But um, it's there is this desire to constantly move into an institutional direction in the same way that man throughout his history, if you look at everything from creation forward has desired rules and structure and plan. Everything has to be measurable. And I feel like there's people only want that because it's safety. If, if I, if I've made the announcement and like our church, if it starts getting really big, I said, okay, well now we're going to meet on a second night at my house. Like just half the group, people have to come with me and start this community elsewhere. People would probably be resistant to it. Or like maybe the natural is not to, to do that. You know, it's just like, okay, well now we just need to get a bigger space because we're way too big for Josh's house. And it's like, well, what if we just split into more houses all over the town? You know, we have a, I live in a pretty big town. So I mean, 110,000 people, right? So it's like, we've got space to do that, but I don't know. There is always that automatic to move into the institutional format. Yeah. And, that, and to I, me, the institution is, it would be okay, except for the fact that it's the institution, I believe, is the one that's perpetuating the culture and not the other way around. Uh, I mean, you can ask the chicken or the egg, you know, well, is it culture that influences the way that church is done or is it churches that are in, influence the culture? And I'm sure there's a give and take on both sides. My personal belief is that what's being taught and, and the even down to the order of service is perpetuating the culture. So if you can have an institution that doesn't do that, then I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with organization. You see that in Acts. Um, the problem is, is that when you, when you get an institution and you call it a church, what you're dealing with now are people that are going to walk in there, even from day one, because you've called it a church, people are going to walk in with a certain frame of mind. Uh, you're not starting with a blank slate when you start a quote-unquote church building. You're, you're starting with a, an assumed culture that people are going to walk through the doors with. And it's not that it would be impossible to overcome that, but I think, honestly, pastors have one of the toughest jobs in America right now. The ones that really want to see the kingdom of God grow have to not only teach them about the kingdom of God, but they've got to overcome all of these cultural beliefs that come through the doors every Sunday morning. Um, so I'm okay with that, as long as we aren't perpetuating the typical you know, sin management culture that most churches do. 
So what does what does American Christianity look like in 20 years, 50 years? <laughs> if I knew the answer to that, I would write a book and make a million dollars. I mean, gosh, it just depends who you ask, you know. I, again, I tend to think it goes back. I think it will tend to go back and swing toward the home church movement, um, just based on what I've heard about the skepticism toward large corporate kind of uh, management yeah. systems that you see playing out in the church. Uh, I, th I think the millennials will not have anything to do with that. Yeah, but thankfully, Ed Stetzer will be there to write articles about, yes, 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 it looks <laughs> like we're hemorrhaging people, but really we're not. The church is fine, everybody. I'm the church's spin boy. Everything's good. Everything's great. It's like, no, people are going to keep leaving the church and the millennials. I, I, in corporate America, I always told my millennials, they're, they're, a lot of them are interns or like in a development program. I said, you're the future of this. You're the ones who can change corporate culture. You're the ones who can who can get rid of the fancy pants and shirts and just be jeans and t-shirts, you know, because what what you look like doesn't dictate how you work. And they're like really scared to because you know half of them started just kind of in, enveloping into the current culture that's been there forever, you know, and it's still a culture that tells women they can't you know have the same pay as men, et cetera. And it's like it is just easier to move that direction than it is to actually stand up in the current that's moving so fast to say this is wrong and mm -hmm. this is stupid. I mean it really is stupid to think that a man who wears a suit can do better work than a man who wears jeans. It's like that that doesn't question anyone's character or their work ethic or anything. It's just, it's just saying by default because you have this, you're better. And it's the same thing with like like what Scott was saying in the church, the that cultural idea. Like get large corporate gatherings, I have no problem with that. In large church, I have no problem. But you know, I think also that so much of America has a certain expectation of what church is, but there is certainly a large segment who has no expectation, who doesn't even think about it. And, you know, I, I think of the, the people who maybe didn't grow up with church and they're poor and they have to work on Sundays and every minute of their lives and going to church is not even a consideration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, thinking about taking their children to Sunday school is not even something that they are capable of figuring out because they don't live in that same kind of world as sometimes in our kind of middle-class world of, of thinking about church. I don't know. We're, we're separate from a lot of people. So it seems like in the, if to, to, to be showing G it's showing that Jesus is relevant to every situation and every struggle. We have to be willing to move beyond the structure. Sometimes we got to find new ways. Yeah, we have to begin with the, the belief that Jesus actually has something to say about this, uh, that he, he is actually alive, and he, could, he can actually live my life better than I'm currently living it. And so he mm -hmm. becomes the vision uh, for which I begin to um, wrap my life around. And now that's, it's not going to be immediately apparent, well, how would Jesus be a better plumber you know, or how would Jesus be a better architect or whatever? Uh, but I think as you begin to have that experiential side to living with Christ, uh, and you, you're freed up to experiment 
I mean, that, that's just another thing that's completely missing in the church is that you can actually experiment with your Christian life. You can actually try out different things and see, you know, what what is God telling you about that? How did it work out? We can actually live and apply Jesus to what we're doing with our professions is, is something that's missing and something that needs to be restored, I think, for a vital Christian life. Yeah. Well... It's been good to talk to you guys. We've gone longer than I yeah. said we were going to go at the beginning. It's no be a I feel like that's standard podcast stuff. Like, cause we <laughs> we do the same thing with people. Like, well, I can only do a half an hour. Like, you know, ninety minutes later, we're still talking. They're like, okay, well, that went longer than we thought. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, we appreciate you having us on. It's 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 weird yeah, being on the other end of the questions. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like that's what I was thinking. I was like, we're on the other side of the microphone this time. <laughs> like, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's been good to talk to you guys. Um, if, if folks are interested in listening to your podcast or hearing more, where do they look? Whew. Any, anywhere on the internet. Uh, let's see. We're on iTunes at outsiders podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter at outsider podcast. And then Facebook.com slash Outsiders Podcast. So any of those any, – any podcasting app you use, you could should be able to find us in their libraries too. So we'd appreciate it. All right. Very cool. We'll uh, encourage encourage folks to check you out, and it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Awesome, Jason. man. Good talking to you again. Take care. All right.